case we haven't met, I'm Dino Colombo. I represent people hurt by a truck. It's what we do every day. I've seen truck accidents devastate families, but we can help. Hurt by a truck? Call Colombo Law. Tim and Kathy Keller are back with us. Tim Keller is the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, New York. He started that with his wife, Kathy, and three young sons in 1989. For 28 years, Tim Keller led a diverse congregation of young professionals that grew to a weekly attendance of over 5,000. Dr. Keller is a, a number of New York Times bestselling books, as well as his wife, Kathy. And uh, Tim and Kath, welcome back to the show. Always happy to have you with us. Why, thank you, and happy Bill Mazeroski Day to you. Yay! <laughs> Hard to believe God, it's been 60 years. God bless I you. I was forever. 10 years old, and I saw it on television. I came home from school, and my mom was watching the game, and there he did it. This clear oh, I love things. it. Oh, Kathy, that's Field. awesome. Now, you know that there are a group of Yinzers that are clustered around that wall right outside, you know, on Pitt's campus. Are there really? Oh, yeah. Right oh, yeah. now, you mean today, celebrating? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was at, you know, I think it was 338 when he hit the home run. So they're all clustered around there, and they're like oh. eating pierogies. And they played the original and... broadcast of the game, and they just follow <laughs> along in, in, inning by inning. And then, surprise, surprise, Bill Mazeroski hits the home run, and a bunch of these you know, crazy Yinzer guys, they erupt with cheers. It's and really they fun. drink Iron City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only in Pittsburgh. Look at, look at Tim's laughing. Tim, look at how generous we are, how we've grafted you into our group. <laughs> yes, even though I was, I, I grew up in Allentown, which means I was a, actually a Phillies fan, but oh. I did hear, I heard, on the, I was walking home from school, you know, three o'clock you get out, and you know, I walked yes. home from school, and I heard on my little transistor radio, I was listening to the World Series back when, cool. when they were on the afternoon, they didn't do evening, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all, the, all the, the games were in the afternoon, and I heard it, and I remember thinking, that's great, because this is still Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> so, oh. I, so anyway, I, I identified, <clears throat> even though we were from the other, the non-mountainous wow. part. That could, be the, that could be the last time anyone from either of our cities pulled for the opposite. Yeah, I don't, you know, back then, I, don't, I didn't feel like the Eagles and the Steelers and the Phillies and the Pirates were big rivals no. when I was growing up. It, they, were, they felt like, um, they kind of felt like cousins. Sort of. I didn't feel like it was a rivalry the way they're. Maybe it's grown up as. Time well, I think I think when it became the Pens and the Flyers, it got ugly. Mm-hmm. True. No, that's totally right. That's mm-hmm. totally. Right. That's just well, what hockey does to the soul. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure that hockey is to blame for everything we're seeing right now with everybody breaking down into their small tribes and. Supporting, I support this, therefore I must have to hate you because you support well, that. Well, listen, listen, Kathy, if it were as easy as it being hockey, then we'd be in good shape, yeah. right? But it's, it's much more complex. <laughs> well, look what they okay. do in hockey with uh, beating each other over the head with the sticks. I'm well, whatever glad. they do, they whatever they do, Kathy, they shake hands at the end and it makes it all That's better. right. That is absolutely right. What, I went to when, an awful lot of Little League games. When I started uh, dating Kathy... Uh, one of the things I did know, and I know Kathy's family was maybe even a little more than most. I mean, Kathy's family was all about Pittsburgh sports, so there was always something on. You know, there was always a there was always a hockey on or Steelers. or football, right? But it did feel to me that when I got when I started visiting Kathy in Pittsburgh, I said, you know, we have Philadelphia; they have their fans, but Pittsburgh does feel more built around their teams. Mm-hmm. It's like the culture and the and the uh, the the sense of oneness is built more. There there is more identification 
with the team. So I just noticed it right off the bat. Yeah. In spite of the fact I was, that uh, I was the black you know. sheep of the family, I, except for Bill Mazeroski Lily Starzo, Roberto Clemente, those guys, the greats. Um, I didn't really follow sports. I really didn't. Uh, well, listen, but, you know, can I tell great. this story on you, dear, Kathy? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know how, you know how on, on New Year's Day, there's a there's a there's basically a football game on all day, you know, because you go sure. from one bowl game to oh, the other. It's, Kathy was, I think story. Kathy was true. into her 20s. Now, listen, dear heart, Kathy, come on, okay. let me tell you the story. Tell, I don't mind. I, she was probably in her 20s before she realized that was not one football game, that it was a series <laughs> of football games. Because on black games. and white TV, there were always the light shirts <laughs> right. playing the dark shirts. I remember and one I day she told me that well, football in the games take all day. Midnight. I said, no, they don't take all day. That's four different bowl games. And she said, oh. <laughs> those, those poor men would be exhausted, wouldn't they? <laughs> I was not paying close attention, as you might guess. <laughs> right, not. right. I mean, the world's totally different in black and white. And, you know, of course, you know, we're of a certain age that we can remember black and white. So God bless us for surviving through black and white and into color. Mm. Oh, gosh. Okay, so tell us, where did you guys meet? Well, actually, we just had our 50th anniversary, not our wedding anniversary, but our 50th anniversary of meeting. Oh, um, I went to Allegheny College, and my sister went to Bucknell. We all kept it in state. Okay. And Allegheny started much later than Bucknell, so I was helping my mother bring some things up to my sister that she had discovered she needed in order to get through her freshman year. And she was my sister Sue was a Christian as well, and she was already involved in Young Life and InterVarsity, and they had a house that someone had rented that was sort of the the focus of the leadership and the meetings and whatnot. So Sue took us over to the leadership house, the Young Life Leadership House. And there was this tall, skinny guy studying his Greek, and Sue said, this is Tim Keller, and I said, hi. And he said, hi. And that was the end of that. But um, we got to know know each other sort of um, with my sister acting like, um, I don't know, like um, a go-between. She would come home and she'd say, Tim Keller is reading Oh Halsey's book on prayer, and I'd say, "Huh," and I'd go pick up Oh Halsey's book on prayer, and then she'd go back and say, "My sister's thinking about going to Gordon Conwell Seminary," and Tim would say, "Huh, maybe I'll look into that." So, without really knowing each other, he was just one of my sister's tall friends, and it wasn't until we were both at Gordon Conwell that we got to know each other as friends. Until then, it was really. Um, a nod across the room. We both went out to the Ligonier Valley Study Center when R.C. Sproul was out there. Everybody introduced themselves, and he'd be with his group, I'd be with my group, and we just sort of nodded each other. That was about it. But that was 50 years ago. That's wow. our 50th anniversary. Congratulations. Okay, wow. so then who made the first move? I mean, you both sounded either either preoccupied or just reluctant. Well, he got to the seminary and was sort of semi-engaged, and I was really very relieved to be able to have a friend that was otherwise um, taken because I had just been through a couple of disastrous, unrequited relationships, and I didn't want to have anything that I could get entangled in. But that relationship ended, and our friendship had gotten very strong, and I found myself in the same situation all over again. And I'll tell you why I'm on Pearl of Wisdom. Tim told a story on me. I'll tell one on myself. Oh, good. After his relationship ended um, with this other girl who um, decided she didn't want to be married to a minister, 
and we were very close friends and, you know, obviously able to think each other's thoughts and uh, it was just so clear to me that we were meant for each other. Um, I thought I would be promoted from first friend to girlfriend, sort of like Nick, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, and finally, right before um, winter break one year, I said to Tim, look, um, I know you're not doing this intentionally, but this happens to it in a lot of Christian friend relationships that the guy gets all he needs as far as um, affirmation without any commitment. Meanwhile, the girl's sitting there waiting, okay, when's the commitment happening? I said, you know, every day I wait for you to make a move romantically, and every day that you don't, I feel like I've been weighed and found wanting, that you've evaluated me and decided, nah. I said, now maybe you're not thinking that way, you know, maybe, but that's how I experience it. And the Bible tells us, now you're going to laugh, not to throw pearls before swine. And I'm not a pearl, and you're not a pig. But the point is that the, the pig couldn't appreciate the pearl, you know. And if you can't see who I am and appreciate me, then I just can't keep doing this thing emotionally available. Listen, out, are you, Is anybody out there listening, ladies? I can't keep being emotionally available just in case you one day decide, like, huh, maybe I, I'll give her, you know, a thought. So that was... That, that was the end of the friendship. That was everything. The only problem was we had done all the legwork and gotten all the necessary permissions to go down to Westminster Seminary for the January term and take a course with Jay Adams on counseling. And we were going to be driving down there and driving over to class Mm -hmm. and eating dinner every night and staying at the same house where I had stayed in the summer when I worked for Philadelphia Presbytery. So after having declared our relationship at an end, we more or less had to live in very close quarters for a month. And during Christmas break, Tim had a... Well, Tim, you should take it. You had a chance to think over. Tim? Tim? Are you there? Yep. I don't know. Tim? Pick Pick up the story, my friend. Yeah, I don't know where he is. The most most disingenuous thing she ever said to me was, I'm not saying you're a pig and I'm a pearl. But then she says, and the next minute, the next minute she says, but just like a pearl can't, a pig can't appreciate a pearl, I don't think you appreciate me. I said, wait a minute. You said I wasn't the pig in the story. Then you said I was the pig in the story. Actually, I was actually somewhat um, offended at the moment. But I just felt basically what Kathy's, you know, you can imagine. Basically what happened was that we'd gotten very close as friends because it was safe. Technically, we would talk about our problems with each other, but since I was semi-engaged as other girl, we could kind of do this. The minute that relationship ended, there was really no good reason to not uh, get romantically involved. Unless, but I didn't, unless, you know, you either had to do that or you had to pull out. Mm-hmm. You couldn't maintain that kind of relationship. Right. And I didn't want to pull out, but at the same time, I was scared, like, like most guys my age. And so, anyway, that's what happened. But then eventually... Well, who I, made the first I move, came, though, was the question, dear. Uh, oh, me, probably. I mean, yeah, you, you, you were the one you who did. challenged me, but I was the one that made the move, yes. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Oh, very good. All right, good. Now, let, now, let me just say that, you know, when you look back, Tim, at Kathy, aren't you proud of her? For Like, she was so healthy. 
Oh, you my mean goodness. for saying I'm not uh, going to go through with this anymore? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean that. Um, I, mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm kind. I'm laughing as I'm saying it, but I really mean it. There are so few young women who are brave enough and strong enough to say, you know what? Either you want me or you don't. And if you don't, see ya. Yeah, and by the way, well, that's why now I we're talking about 1973 story, really. too. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I tell that story. It's not because I want to you know, highlight the interesting adventures of Tim and Kathy Keller, but because there are a lot of young women who are being used in terminology, yes. I think Tim might have invented, as cheap girlfriends. They, mm-hmm. you know, they're there when you feel like talking to somebody, going out for a pizza, going to a movie, but you don't have to make any commitment. You don't have to, you know, have any messy emotional entanglements. So you're a cheap girlfriend. And right, right. that's... Not the way it's supposed to be. Nope. Tim and Kathy Keller with us. Hey, Tim, um, we've been following along. We, of course, we know that you've been ill with cancer. Can you give us an update and tell us where you are in your journey? Well, you know, in a way, because you, um, you're just a little early, we're going to get another scan in a couple of weeks. Um, okay. Then I'll know. Um, so I, we are, um, I, I get chemotherapy, as everybody in the world knows, including those who've had it. That's rough. Yeah. On the other hand... Um, there have been the, the very first um, the first evaluation was that it is working on the cancer, but that it's it's we have a long way to go. So we have, uh, as Kathy reminds me, in New York City and Pittsburgh is another medical center. If you live in one of these medical centers, like you know these world class medical centers, and you're sick, there's a there is a tendency even as a Christian to say, um, I'm doing okay because I've got the very best mm-hmm. care in the world. The reality, of course, is in the very best medical centers, somebody could die overnight or you could be cured, and it really is in God's hands. And, you, and even though I'm, you, you, you do, of course, try to get the best care, that's just being a good steward of your body. Nevertheless, we are, Kathy always reminds me never to say, oh, you know, you've got one of the three greatest pancreatic cancer specialists in the world working. Nope, that's not where your hope is. You know, we don't trust in chariots and horses but in the Lord of hosts. So um, we, we actually are, um, we weep a lot, most probably every day, but we also are enjoying our lives in many ways because this pushes you toward God and you realize, oh, you spend all your life telling people that God is available in prayer. And then you know what? You get too busy to actually go do it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like I spent my whole life, we spent our whole lives um, telling people about that and saying, look, open this great treasure chest. It's possible to actually commune with God. He's not high and remote and that sort of thing. You can actually know him. You can actually experience him. And then we're so busy, or maybe we're too proud or um, or actually too self-sufficient to actually open that box. So in some ways, we have opened the box, and in many ways, it's the best of times, worst of times. Uh, but actually, when where we actually are on the cancer, uh, I'll know better in a couple of weeks, but Maybe we can talk again sometime in the future. So. Yeah, Good. we'd love that. Um, Tim, this is a, and Kathy, this is a big question, but, you know, we spent the first half of our time together talking about how you met and how you decided to date and all those sorts of things. And now you fast forward 50 years and you guys are going through a major life challenge. I mean, every day that you guys spent together uh, creates a, a different kind of relationship that either can withstand a challenge like this or not. So can you weigh in on that? I mean, how has how have all the time and ministry hours and family hours that you guys have spent together made you uh, the kind of couple that's able to do what you've been doing? Well, I'm not sure anybody is ready for something like this. I mean, it comes at you 
unexpectedly and like a ton of bricks. Although at the age of 70, I do have to say, if you're not numbering your days, um, you're kind of being foolish because there are fewer ahead than there are behind. So it was, I think it was one of God's mercies. You've heard of um, the book, A Severe Mercy, Sheldon oh, yeah. Dunoffin. Yeah, I think this is in that category of a severe mercy that nobody's prepared for God to be merciful to you in such a thunderous way. Um, you know, we want God to be merciful to us by keeping everything rosy and comfortable and and doing everything to make our lives safe and secure. But that would really be the unkindest thing God could actually do to you is because then you just are confirmed in all of your prejudices. Your, um, you are occupied with all of your little hobbies and your... Um, your life the way having it you the way you want it and when God upends all of that then that's when you say wait a minute wait a minute either this stuff I've believed and talked about is true or else it's not so I don't know that we had I don't know that there is any preparation for um, having a cataclysm happen a lady in my lady's Bible study um, her grandson Uh, the youngest of five was they were packing up from a day at the beach and out of a clear blue sky a bolt of lightning hit him and killed him five years old now how do you prepare for that you don't you can't there's no way you can only say the god that i have believed in is either there or else he's not now i am going to call on him and call on him and call on him um and he's he shows himself willing to be found to the brokenhearted. And when you're brokenhearted, you go to him. Now, I'm not saying that everything, that God, uh, let me back up. I have a real fear of emotional self-delusion. I was involved in some um, Christian groups whenever I was younger. I won't name them because they were in Pittsburgh. That... um, there's a lot of high emotion, and I convinced myself on many occasions that God was speaking to me or guiding to me, and it was really more imaginary than it was um, from Scripture or from uh, anything that God was really sending. So my prayer to God has been, God, please show up in such an unmistakable way that it can't be anybody but you. It's not my my wishes, my desires, my imagination, my feelings. I'm I'm just not going to be satisfied with anything except you being so you that you can't be mistaken for anything that I could create mentally or hmm. emotionally. So that's I don't think you, I I'm I'm just questioning whether anybody no matter what their life experience is ready for um having something really life-threatening or tragic or difficult, this difficult, come into their life. You um, you work out at the gym and then suddenly you're asked to um, pick up uh, an elephant and you think, well, that working out in the gym didn't really prepare me for this, did it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Tim, what do you say? Uh, well, I, the only way to prepare, I mean, I do think that you, Kathy and I, because we got we had good teachers and mentors, were given the basic um, framework for what you do when terrible things happen. 
and um, and we saw people walk through them, and actually at a lower, you might say a, a lower level of I mean, smaller troubles, we walked through them too. So in that sense, I think Kathy uh, is right that in, in one way nothing prepares you, but in other ways we were. It's it's partly right. I mean, <clears throat> for example, um, there's a John Newton hymn. I'll just I, I know it by heart, and uh, it, it gives you a perfect example, especially the last two lines. And when you've been living with something like this for many years, and then suddenly you get into a position where you have to use it, it does help that you've been thinking about it for a while. It's a, it's not a hymn that's been, I think, put to much music, but it's actually a, uh, we sang it in our ladies' Bible study. Do they sang yeah. it a very, very well? Well, it's thing, <clears throat> the second last chapter in Knowing God by Jerry Packer. Mm-hmm. He ends with this hymn. It goes, um, and I know it by heart. He says, "I ask the Lord that I might grow." in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. I hope that in some favorite hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart Hmm. and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe Crossed blasted all the fair designs I schemed, blasted, blasted my, gourds my gourds and laid and me laid low. Me low. Mm-hmm. Lord, That's why is this, I trembling cried, will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayers for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thine all in me. Now, breaking thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find that all in me is exactly what God's doing right now to us in a way he's never done before. And interestingly, what, the reason I could re- recite that by heart is because I preached on it so often. Mm. And the fact that it's there, at a moment like this, I was able to draw on it. So I'm giving you the other side. I think Kathy's right. There's one sense in which nothing prepares you. You just have to go to God. There's another sense in which not so bad to have teaching Good yeah. teaching for many yeah. people over the yeah, years. Yeah, I've heard but, it said that that's true, especially like when you're raising a child and they're not showing any interest in the faith, but you've they've had uh, they've seen you, they've been taken to church, you've done a catechism with them or whatever. That it's like putting kindling in the fireplace, and you're only waiting for that spark of the Holy Spirit. But you will have a much more of a roaring fire if you have been laying the kindling down for years. Than if you have a spark and the fireplace is empty, or you've got a dura flame or something like that. Kath, right. <clears throat> we, we certainly appreciate your time here with us. We truly mean this. Our prayers are with you as you go through this difficult time, and uh, we're always just thrilled to have a peek at where you are. And uh, may the Holy Spirit be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah love you both. Yeah, Terrific. Thanks. Hi. Yeah, and we're and we're praying for you, Tim, you Tim, in every way, and that you would uh, transfer over, and your allegiance would be with every Pittsburgh sports team. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, Bucks. <laughs> Tim and Kathy Keller.